When I'm the problem, you're the solution. It's just me and you. When I'm dissolving, you're problem solving. You always see me through. keep a coin in my mouth. The village looks black from where I'm standing, in silhouette, a diorama. It stands on the precipice, and no, not figuratively, there is a cliff above the beach, looking out over the ocean, under a three-quarter moon. I've come here on foot, leaving my car at the foot of the path, far down below, impossible to get back now. I couldn't find it if I tried, not planning to go back to it or back to anywhere. <clears throat> People once were buried with coins in their mouths, I read, so they had some currency for the ferryman. I imagine that this was rare for the poor. I imagine it was not a wide practice. I imagine that people were not so different than we are now. And there were a healthy group of people who said, why are so many people getting buried with coins in their mouths? This is a dumb fad. I'm not doing it, I tell you. <laughs> but then some did, according to the sort of people who study remains. It's a comfort to me, the coin I suck on and keep under my tongue. If I should die, I'm prepared. I'm not afraid of death but I'd like to be prepared. It's cold tonight. I used to be quite sensitive to weather, to changes in temperature. But now, after all this time, it's water off a duck's back. There are things I need to do tonight. People who need to know there have been consequences. People who need to atone. Not the least of all, Jack. Jack will find my appearance more than disruptive. I'm certain Jack's life has been constructed around the idea that people like me, from that part of his life, are gone or forgotten or could never find him. He doesn't know that I forgive him. He won't expect that. He'll see me and believe that he's been found out. The biggest risk is that he'll expose himself. I have no plan to do so. I can't help but want to see Jack again, though, just to put my hand on his shoulder, to feel his shoulder the way I used to, how strong it is. I wonder if it's still strong. It's been years. I'm stronger than I was, but at our age, that's not how things usually evolve.
I am walking quietly through the village and I am not seen. I know when I am seen and when I am not seen. It's my area of expertise. I walk by the open windows, see the televisions on. A television show where someone is trying to play a game with his son. The people in the houses, the real lives, are less memorable and vibrant than the fictions they observe. They're diminished by what they consume. There are night birds singing night songs and the water soggy wind carries heaviness to the atmosphere. The village has a hint of the Bavarian, but it's been modernized. It's not a theme park. It's easy to tell why people move here. Isolated, but unique. You don't feel like you're being taken away from the world. Rather, you've moved to a world of your very own. I could imagine someone feeling safe here. Of course, most people feel safe everywhere, despite all the evidence that they are not safe. Not at all. Standing in the doorway, I think about some of the funerals I've attended. Most of them were friends and family. But there were a few I attended on business or curiosity. No one ever challenges me for being there. The assumption is that I'm there because I'm meant to be. Because I'm someone's. Because I belong to someone. The village has a funeral affectation. Eerie. And that suits me. It's almost time to administer the medicine. I've come prepared. I like to be prepared. I don't overburden myself. It is possible to over-prepare and weigh yourself down with items that will likely prove unnecessary, but I am prepared for the work to come and what it will likely entail. I know some of those I confront will plead for discretion and some may bargain or make offers. There may be some who forget me completely, who have no idea from where I've come or for what purpose I've appeared. I have prepared a statement that should make the reason for my visit clear, and I have it in my breast pocket. Not that I will produce the statement, of course. I won't. This isn't a performance. But I find that if I need something memorized, having it physically with me somehow makes it more steadfastly entombed in my mind. I knock on the widow's door and wait. I hear a click, something being locked or unlocked. The door doesn't open. It's late. So I say that I've come. I give her my name. I describe the nature of my business and the village and journey I took to arrive. I do not ask to be let inside, as my business can be done from the doorstep. But I tell the widow I prefer to speak to her, not a door and that she has nothing to fear, if she will open it. She has no reason at all to trust me, but that's never been an impediment before. She opens the door and her face goes white. Not a word passes between us. The wind stops as if it knows it must. I tell her I'm sorry that she is a widow. I hand her the item I have brought for her, a key. 
It is cold, even though it has been in my pocket. My body warms nothing. The coin flips over on my tongue. I roll it around. What will the ferryman be like? Will he know my name? Or is there no ferryman? I hope there isn't one. I hope nothing remains of this life, that it dissolves into a solution and poof, in a puff of smoke, we're gone. Back at the Start is performed by David Greenspan. Written and directed by Matthew Freeman. The Back at the Start theme was written by Peter Vitale with lyrics by Matthew Freeman. It is performed by Sean Kennan Elias Reyes and Milena Elias Reyes. Back at the Start is produced and mixed by Sean Kennan Elias Reyes with additional mixing by Nate Brailer of Hyperbolic Audio. Special thanks to Josh Wilcox at Brooklyn Podcasting Studio, Ben Lorber, and Pam Grossman. Back at the Start is a Theater Accident production. <laughs>